Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Uh, Listen, before I jump into our passage today, I want to tell you today is um, starting point for us, starting point day for us. It's a brief reception kind of orientation we do right after the service that I host with some of our other staff and wouldn't want to invite you to that. We got a lot of things you're going to see today that are happening. If you were here over the course of the day, parent commissioning is going to happen at the end of this service. We got baptisms again this week. They're happening next service. Um, A lot that the Lord is doing, and I believe he is at the same time inviting others, and maybe it's you, to come in and join us in God's mission to take his gospel further, and we do that together and uh, would love for you to be a part of that. So starting point might be your next step. Um, But speaking of steps, have you noticed, um, I feel like this week is the week that the Christmas hustle really gets rolling, right? By the end of this week, I will feel behind um, in my prep for Christmas, which actually is pretty huge because until about age 30, that feeling wouldn't have kicked in until Christmas Eve, right? So I feel like I'm really growing and maturing, but I love Christmas activities. I love hanging lights. I, you know, once a year I get up on a ladder and risk my life to illuminate my house. We did that just a couple of weeks ago. I'm teaching my kids to do that. And then we go drive around and see how other people have done it better than I did, you know? Uh, we do, we have so much fun with that. I love the gifts. I love to get togethers. The first one that usually hits is the Christmas card right? That's the, the first thing you do. Those things, man, you got to get your Christmas card out. It is the most fake thing we do every year, right? I know that it is. I wish that when we got those cards, we could press play on like the 30 seconds before that picture was taken and hear all of the bribes and threats. Like that's how you understand your parenting style. Did you bribe or threaten? Uh, in fact, one year when we had, um, we had four kids, five and under, right? And we're like, we're, this is going to be great. We just had our fourth kid and the word family has six letters. So we're going to each get a letter and we're going to hold it up and we're going to look like a family in the picture. We'll say it as well. And it was the greatest debacle of family picture taking I've ever been a part of. And so we decided to just lean into it. And I think we have the picture that we ended up going with. Did you guys, are you able to put that up there? So that's um, what we ended up having, right? It's just everybody's personality. Me, totally oblivious. Courtney has given up. Zeke, the firstborn, is the rule follower. Ellie is not. Uh, You know, it's just like, that's how a lot of us feel with those cards, right? (laughs) It gets better. The longer you stare at it, the better it gets. Um, But man, whether it's, you can take that down. There's no chance I'm going to pay attention if that's still up. Whether it's the cards, the, the gift list, the parties, whatever, doing Christmas is a whole thing. Uh, and there are things that we give ourselves to and they're good, but we can, we can kind of get to December 25th and be like, thank God it's over. You know, like we made it to the finish line because we've been doing so much. And so I've been praying through what is, um, what's God doing this Christmas? You know, the pandemic, COVID, that's not a surprise to God. 
right? So what's he doing and what does he have for us? And I got to our passage today and late this week, everything started clicking. Today, we're looking at Luke 1, uh, starting in verse 45. This is Mary's song. Y'all, this is a holy and awesome passage of scripture. All scripture is holy and awesome, but this one resonates with me. Uh, And what I realized is that for 45 verses, Luke has been telling us the story, and then right here, he just stops. Everything stops. And we get to see Mary respond. For 10 verses, Mary responds like down in her soul. Like there's nothing, there's no doing for the next 10 verses. It's just responding. And God in his grace put her response in here for us. I imagine what I want, what I want for us this Christmas, I don't want another year of just doing Christmas without responding to it. Without resp- and maybe that's a part of what God is inviting us into this year and by slowing us down a little bit. It's inviting us in to respond to Christmas and to do some like soul response. I-, I imagine most of us would be a little afraid if we stopped everything in our lives. Like if we turned off all the music, turned off all the screens and just sat with God. But that's what we're being invited into today with this really a, a psalm, as you'll see. It's just, we're gonna, we're gonna see how Mary responds and I want it to just, it's almost like this is a little bit of a, this one and what you'll see with Zechariah's response next week. It's almost like a meditation. It's a psalm inviting you in to just consider the truths of Christmas. So we're gonna jump in. I'm gonna read through it and then show you um, just what it looks like for the soul to respond to what God is announcing in Christmas. Um, Verse 46 of Luke 1, Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. When Mary talks about her soul today, she's talking about the core, core of her being, the furnace, if you will, where values and beliefs are forged, the essence of our being that makes us who we are, that that thing that's so all, all important, but we rarely spend time considering but we can't afford to miss Christmas by just doing Christmas. Our soul needs Christmas. So the main point that I've got for you today, like the sermon point, is one point. My soul magnifies the Lord. It's Mary's words here. Y'all, the reason Christmas is so powerful, the reason the theme of our whole series is hope is here is because the arrival of Jesus brings with it a promise worthy of our souls. Worthy of the way down deep, worthy of the worship that we are created by God to give. And here in the middle of the birth story, Luke pauses to let us listen in on Mary's personal prayer to God. It's majestic. I mean, it's a psalm of thanksgiving. She's amazed this has happened to her. She's caught up in it. Her thoughts, her feelings, her will are gladly captured by God. And then we see her response. Hope is building. She's gonna, in the course of this psalm, she's gonna look through ages past and remember how faithful God has been to her ancestors and now say, look at what that God has done for me. What a miracle. I hope today to rekindle that amazement in our souls. Look at who I was. Look at who God is. And wow, that that God 
would, would work, would invite me into his story, would redeem me, would love and embrace me. This song needs to be our song. My soul magnifies the Lord. That's the call of Christmas to us. The power of this psalm, or if you're from a high church background, you might remember it being called the Magnificat. It's that we get invited into Mary's soul. So the, I told you the main point, my soul magnifies the Lord. Let me give you, um, I'm telling you this psalm, so intense, even car alarms are like, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. The angels, the cars, everybody is in on Mary's song. Um, Here's our three main points for today, all right? So I'll go through the passage with that overarching idea. And then the three points are, my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. Those are our three points today, all right? So we'll walk through, we'll see how God has captured her soul in such a way that she magnifies in response. And then we'll talk about how our soul magnifies the Lord. Verse 47, my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. This is just repetition for emphasis. Spirit and soul refer to the same thing. We'll talk more about that core of what that is in a minute. I love that she adds my savior, my Every word matters in scripture, all right? My savior, because like you and I, Mary needs a savior, all right? In fact, the only other time this word savior is used is in, uh, in the gospel of Luke, is in Luke 2, 11, where the angel says, unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Mary says, God is her savior. And then just the very next chapter, Jesus is the savior. And what you're, you and I are supposed to see is that Jesus is God. Yes. And I hope you see that he's not just her son, he's her savior. That personal dealing with God as savior, that's what I want us to lean into today. Usually I wanna show you how Christianity is like a, a, a faith that's practiced in community, and it is. But part of what makes our faith so powerful is how personal it is, all right? Jesus Christ saves a community of people one person at a time. He sees you. He sees your situation. He sees your sin that nobody else sees. He sees the hurt that you're trying to keep others from seeing. He sees the guilt. He sees the pain. He sees the exhaustion. He sees loneliness and despair. And he comes to you today. This is part of what pausing today looks like. Is owning that he's coming to you today and offering you salvation, a salvation where you lay those burdens onto him, where you get caught up in awe of who he is and you, your soul is able to rejoice. He's a savior strong enough, compassionate enough, and personal enough, close enough to offer you salvation from your sin and comfort specific to your suffering. What a savior, not just the savior, but my savior. I hope you lean into that today. Verse 48, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Now, why does her soul magnify the Lord? Because he's looked with favor on her. She doesn't deserve his favor. If she deserved his favor, she wouldn't magnify. Nobody like magnifies their boss because their boss paid them their salary, right? Their salary is owed to them. Mary is magnifying the God who looks 
on her with a favor she didn't earn or deserve. You gotta start putting yourself into this psalm. It is such a beautiful, beautiful picture of what's available to us. Surely from now on, she says, all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me. And she was right. Every single generation has looked back and marveled at the favor of God on this woman. Partly because while these things may not have appeared circumstantially great, they were great things. Like getting pregnant while engaged in first century Nazareth is not a great outward appearance. In fact, outwardly, there will be some questions. But nonetheless, these things are great She's been given the honor of carrying the savior of the world. And listen, what is happening inside of her, the presence of God given to her as an unmerited gift, that's a great thing. And her next words should shoot like an arrow throughout time, throughout 2,000 years, all the way to your heart and to my heart. His name is Holy His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. It's not just that, catch it, that generations will look back and call Mary blessed. Mary is inviting every generation, including the generations sitting in here right now, to get in on the same mercy that God has showed her. Undeserved favor, the presence of God with us. Just like Mary, we are not owed anything by God. You haven't earned anything, and yet his mercy is available. You know, I love that word, mercy. It's the gospel in a word. I mean, we named our church mercy. For those who fear the Lord, those that means you can say down in your core, God's perfect and holy, and I know I'm not. I'm sinful. I'm not worthy of God's favor. He doesn't owe me. That's the person ready to receive his mercy. And his mercy, what she's saying, it never runs out. It is a timeless mercy. So listen to me, 50-year-old who has been cold towards God and is now set in your ways. Maybe God did something when you were in your 20s and you kind of had that thing, or maybe in your teens or something, but now you're kind of hardened. If you're honest, down in the soul, that's what we're dealing with today, kind of hardened towards believing God can do great things in your life. God has not passed you by. His mercy is from generation to generation. In fact, I remember, I'll never forget it, our oldest new believer so far here at Mercy was in his 80s when he came to faith and got baptized and received the mercy of God, salvation in Christ. God's love is for you still right now, available in full. Even if you followed him a long time ago and then you've been cold for a while and you're not sure if that was just something from your youth. No, 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 no. His mercy is available in full right now for you. And that same mercy is available to you, ninth grader. That spot in your life where you're like trying to figure out if this is gonna be your faith or if you're just gonna keep riding in the back seat of your parents' faith. Listen, you need a savior and his mercy is for you in full. And your parents' wish for you is that you will look beyond them through the windshield, so to speak, out, and you will see the object of their worship and make Christ the one that your soul magnifies. All of us right here in Mary's song 
are being invited in to be recipients of hope, of holy, undeserved, soul-satisfying mercy and the presence of God with us. Then Mary goes from that and she, she declares this mercy available to all of us. And then she gets a little prophetic. Watch this, verse 51 to 53. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. I want you to notice the, the tense here he has, the kind of past tense language. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from, the, from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Now, here's the thing. She's actually talking about future activity that's going to be the result of the Savior who is coming that she is carrying, but she's using past tense language to describe future activity of God. This is a common thing the Old Testament prophets use. It's like a, a language tool they use to emphasize the certainty of what is coming. Like it's so certain I'm talking about it in the past tense, right? Like let's say you're talking to a girl and this is y'all's first conversation. Maybe you're on your first date and you've met and things are going so well that you're like, this is the one I'm, and you just want to really put it out there. So you're, you look at her and you say, listen, our wedding day was awesome. It was great. Now that may backfire on you in a wonderful way. Um, so you let me know. But that's kind of the, um, that's the thing that they're doing, that he's doing right here, that Mary's doing. Um, what you need to hear not only is she looking for with that kind of certainty, but look at the nature of the activity of God in her words. It's the upside down kingdom. Scattered the proud, the ones that were proud in their hearts. Toppled the mighty off their thrones, exalted the lowly. He's reversing the power structures of the world. He feeds the ones who can't get food, but not just with good food, with abundance. The rich he sends away empty. Listen, the ones who are proud, who are well-fed, who are well-resourced, often have a hard time of seeing their need for God. Their abundance on their own isn't bad. Look, some of you are wildly wealthy compared to your peers and definitely when compared to the greater world. That abundance isn't bad. God has granted you that and I hope you'll leverage it for the advancement of the gospel here and around the world. That abundance isn't bad unless it becomes your identity and thereby your savior. If you don't, if you find yourself over the course of your days that you don't really need God now that you have wealth, that's where it becomes a problem. And maybe you're not, maybe it's not financial, you're not financially rich. We got this new version of wealth that we pursue hard in our culture. It's called influence. Influence is good. Just like money, it can be used for the advancement of the gospel. But if influence becomes your savior, becomes your identity, becomes the thing that you gotta have, that's where it's a problem. Just like the rich, you go away from God empty. He must be the only thing your soul magnifies. So let's go back. Look, look back at 51. What's in your heart? That's what God is after. He is after the heart. That's what scripture is gonna tell you from first page to last, that God looks at the heart. He is not after you tipping your hat to him. He is after the heart. And then she reflects back on God's old promise to Abraham, starting in verse 54, and how in this moment, God is remaining faithful to Abraham. Look at this. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. God's fulfilling a promise 
right here in this and what, what Mary's going through, that he made way back in Genesis 15 and 17 that Abraham's descendants will be as many as the stars in the sky, that all the nations would be blessed through Abraham. All these are being fulfilled in the arrival of Jesus. Y'all, I told you three weeks ago, Christmas is a story about God keeping his promises, which means the promises that he, this is why this matters, because it means the promises he has made to us in Christ, we can have hope in those two because he's a God who keeps his promises. Like if he went to all the trouble to create a census so that a young couple living in Nazareth because the Old Testament Messiah was supposed to come out of Nazareth, supposed to be a Nazarene, but this, old, this couple from Nazareth had to go to Bethlehem because the Old Testament Messiah was gonna be born in Bethlehem to be born in a stable. If God kept all those meticulous promises because he's a God who keeps his promises, then we can place our hope, our hope in the promises we have in Christ. That hope, that, when I say hope, I'm talking about like a, a certainty of a better reality, even in the, the current moment that might seem uncertain. Like currently it might be uncertain, but there's a better reality that I'm completely confident in. Right, like when I'm watching my son's baseball team, the game's pretty close, you know, but there's this kid on the team named Asher. And if Asher gets on first base, he is going to score in three pitches, all right? Because this is Little League Baseball and not all the catchers have great arms and Asher can fly. He's like a deer on base paths, right? So I know first pitch, he's going to second base. Second pitch, he's going to third base. And if the catcher even drops the ball when he's at third, he's already gone home. He's already halfway there every pitch anyways, right? So we're watching uh, one of the later games in the season and Courtney, who haven't been able to be as many games because we're parents now of kids that got stuff they're doing. And so we're in different spots. And uh, Courtney's like, ah, it's a tie game. And I don't know. I don't think we're going to win this one. And I'm like, don't worry. Asher's on first base, right? I have a confident expectation. That's my hope. Based on what has been passed that he will make. And sure enough, three pitches later, boom, Asher's at home plate and we're up by a run, right? That is a dim shadow, a fun, lighthearted shadow of the certainty we have in Christ. Confidence in the promise that Christ has already won the victory over sin and he will bring you into his forever kingdom. That is a promise that the God who keeps his promises has promised. That he is with you right now, present with you if you're in Christ. Let me zero in on one that I hope will help you magnify the Lord. You are a new creation in Christ. That's a promise by a God who keeps his promises. New you, old you isn't just renovated, all right? (laughs) No, 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 no. Old you's gone, and new you is alive in Christ, which means while you still battle your sin, you're not a slave to it anymore. Now, we're doing baptisms, um, like I said, next service. You know what pulls people out of the water? Hope in new life. That's what pulls them out of the water. He's the God of second chances. We have confident expectation that sin has lost its power over us and that God himself is recreating us into his image. Because he said that's what he's doing, and he's a God who keeps his promises, and Christmas reminds us of that. That promise, y'all, that's so certain you can build your life on it. Now, I told you verse 46 is my hope for you, that it's the anthem of Christmas. My soul magnifies the Lord. So let's talk about what it takes to be able to honestly say, my soul magnifies the Lord, all right? Let's lean in and look. I told you I got three points for you. My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. Here's, here's point number one. My soul magnifies the Lord. Mary's talking about the, the core. I told you this a couple of times. And this, this word is not something we talk about a lot. So when hard concepts come up naturally, I take them to the dinner table 
to assess uh, and learn from others because I have three elementary students and a sixth grader, all right? So it was really fun. So I go to the table and I say, all right, guys, uh, this is dinner Monday night. Where's your soul? And very quickly, there were answers, right? No, Hattie, the, uh, what's she in? First grade, I think. First grade, I don't know. I got like his. First grade, and she goes, well, dad, it's in your heart. And quickly, the fifth grader, Ben, goes, it's not in your heart. Your heart's the blood pumper. How can there be a soul in your heart when your heart's the blood pumper because it's pumping blood, right? And then Zeke goes, that's a good point. It's in your brain. And Ben quickly responds, no, that's the squishy thing where the electricity goes and it tells the body things what to do. It can't be that. And then just she had been silent the whole time, but then the third grader, Ellie, who has some personality, she just goes, guys, it's in everything. And just has that like, I can't even do it, right? I can't do it justice because I'm not an eight-year-old girl. Um, but... I was like, I don't know if the social media handle of like sassy theologian or something has been taken yet, but that is where she is headed. Um, but you know, I'm like, I bet bottom line, most of us couldn't do much better, right? And I was like, okay, well, well what does the soul do if, that, if it's in everything, which it is, she was absolutely right. What does it do? And they said, they turned back into kids. And they're like, dad, we just want to eat. Can we stop this? It's a preacher dad problems, you know? But I'm like, but the soul, and I had this great thing set up for them. The soul is magnification station. That's what I was set to to tell them. So now you guys get that since they had already passed by and everything, right? But my point is, the soul, you were designed by God to magnify. And your soul, magnification station, pumps out beliefs and values that help us magnify, It points your life towards something, decides there is value there, and then you start giving yourself to that thing. So down deep, in that space where you cannot fake it, where it's just you and God, what do you magnify? What's really most important to you? And I'll go and tell you the the answer. If you want like a little litmus test, figure out what does your soul magnify? What makes you worry? What keeps you up in idle moments? What do other people go, you know those moments where somebody's like, hey, what are you thinking about right now? What are you thinking about? (laughs) What is it right there? Mary doesn't say her words magnify the Lord. She doesn't say her actions magnify the Lord. That's religious stuff. It's good, but God doesn't look at the words. God looks at the heart. And what Mary is saying is actually she's counted the cost of what this means. She's decided down deep, God is real. He is good. He has blessed her. He is better than anything else. And so I will value, cherish, and exalt him. She's found, and in doing so, she's found peace. She has found a peace that passes understanding. She's found rest. And it's so personal. It's my soul. It's easy to come in to this room and participate in the collective exercise of worship. And that's good for you. But let me ask you, does your soul magnify the Lord? Or are you a close observer today of others whose souls are magnifying the Lord, but not yours? The gospel, what you're hearing at this point is the gospel is a personally invasive message. Maybe you haven't seen that until now, but it is. And until you give him your whole self, not just fist pound, you don't just dress up nice for the Lord, give him your whole self. Until you do that, you'll not experience the blessing of knowing God. 
I'm telling you, you gotta direct everything in you to worship him. When your soul magnifies the Lord, that means everything else is gonna filter through that. It means when a decision comes, the response is, all right, how can I magnify the Lord in this situation? When temptation comes, how can I magnify the Lord? When the job opportunity comes, how can I magnify the Lord? When your soul is set on the Lord, it determines how you approach everything else in your life. That's point number one. Point number two, my soul magnifies the Lord, exalts, lifts up, worships, honors, reveres, gives praise to, sacrifices for, thinks constantly about, celebrates, rejoices, cheers. Is that your soul when it comes to the Lord? I think we need a wake-up call here. Mary is... She is deeply thankful that she's been chosen by God. And this is the outpouring of her heart in response. It's not a complaint because of the circumstances that it's going to create. It's praise. And I often think we magnify the Lord. We think we magnify the Lord when we actually just pay him lip service. Magnify is an awesome word. It is a cherished word, celebrate word. And, and I will tell you, we are really good at it, all right? Like, you don't need to learn how to magnify. Magnification station never malfunctions. It just gets the wrong input, all right? Whatever you give your time, attention, and treasure to, that's what you magnify. And I know we need help here because I look at how just one area, how we worship Jesus versus how we worship sports, Let's say, for example, you love Clemson football. Let's just step on some toes, okay? You had a good night last night, so you're feeling okay, right? You see someone wearing the paw. I don't know if that's what y'all say. I don't like Clemson football, but let's see you wearing their logo. Could be a total stranger. Go Tigers. Go Tigers, right? I see how you give that COVID-appropriate fist bump, right, or whatever the thing is. I see y'all get second down and three in the first quarter, and there's still 12 minutes left in the game, and you get a first down, and you're like, yes, right? You get so pumped about it. I have rarely seen somebody fist bump after the end of a worship song. (laughs) Our worship team will sing from their toes, And if our soul is magnifying the Lord, we should sound and look less like the frozen chosen and more like the Holy Spirit fire choir. I don't know. I just kind of made that up right now. I don't know if that's a thing. All right. I don't, somebody going to take a lap at the end of our service. I know it's coming. That's, That's fine. It's not that our magnification station is broken. It's just not always aimed at the right thing. So look, that's why we're giving you, this is what we do as a church though. We come in here together and together we encourage one another to redirect our worship onto the one thing that can not only carry our worship, but actually fills us up when we worship. Are you get that? In fact, the only thing that will not only not leave you empty, but will actually fill you up when you worship, because worship is giving praise, but as you give praise to God, he actually fills you up. You leave full. Anything else you praise will leave you empty. This is why I'm so big on things like um, uh, trying to give you opportunities to direct your worship. That's uh, the Christmas missions offering, for example. I believe my money reveals where my heart is. And so I want you to give to the Christmas missions offering, but you can't give out of guilt. God doesn't want that. He wants magnification station, not just behaviors. So you gotta go spend time with him, right? That's why we give you the Advent reading so you can get to know him, get to know his love for you, see him redirect your heart back onto him, and then... 
You spend time with other believers who love the Lord and you spend time with the Lord until giving to his mission is like eager joy for you. Then you give. That's why I'm not even setting a goal for this missions offering. I just want the right motivation. Give generously as an act of God magnifying worship. How do you do that? How do you magnify? Uh, That's just one example. Well, what about the things in your everyday life? Like what you post about, what you text your friends about. Think about, um, there's this thing on your phone that's a, it'll, at least on my phone, I can pull it up and it'll tell me how much time I've spent on different apps on my phone. Like, I don't even know if you want to pull that thing up, all right? Truthfully, it is, it's a check. Um, but think about that for your whole life. Like, that's, what are you spending your time looking at? What are you spending your time thinking on, engaging with others on? Here's the third point. My soul magnifies the Lord. I want to offer you some, some more of that hope. When you magnify the Lord, when you worship and lift him up, it'll strengthen you. Anything else will take more and more from you and leave you worse off because good things, even good things, are not meant to be objects of worship. Relationships are great blessings, but terrible gods. Careers are good blessings, but terrible gods. Friends are great blessings, but terrible gods. Body image, yes, it's good to be healthy. It's terrible to make that your God. When you magnify yourself, which is really what all those other things are doing. When you magnify yourself, you're trying to make yourself feel valuable and you are valuable, but you are a terrible God. When you make those good things a God thing, it always ends in exhaustion and disappointment. Maybe not immediately, but it will. But when your soul magnifies the Lord, the one you were created to magnify, you will receive you receive. That's what we're doing at Christmas. That's what Mary's doing. She's receiving. In the middle of all this circumstantial, all these things that outwardly, she's not sure how it's all going to work out, how it's all going to be received, but inwardly she's receiving from the Lord. You'll receive peace, power, purpose, renewal. What you're trying to find in other things you are made to find in the Lord. So I want to beg you today, magnify the Lord. Put him first. Put him first in your day. Make him the first one you talk to. Maybe that means you got to get up a little bit earlier. Like you, you don't need to be at the gym until you talk with Jesus. Don't need to talk with the guy at the gym until you talk with Jesus. Like don't talk to the dog until you talk with Jesus. I'm telling you, I get up. We got a dog because during COVID, you make decisions that you might come to regret later. I don't know. But we got a dog uh, a couple of months ago. Y'all, I come downstairs. That dog's in her crate. I'm like, I can't talk to you right now. Go spend time with Jesus, right? Then go back and get the dog. I don't know, whatever it is, put him first in your schedule. Build your calendar around him. Don't try and fit him into the margins. Put him first in your friendships. Get some real Jesus friends and then get real about walking with Jesus together. Put him first in your family. It shouldn't be weird or goofy to pray on the spot with spouses and kids. Should be the normative practice of God magnifying people. And in doing that, you're gonna experience the blessing that Mary sang about. I'm confident of that. You're gonna experience the blessing of the God who satisfies the hungry with good things, who exalts the lowly. That's what we're gonna, the way I'm gonna close today is for the next few moments, I want you to, I want us all to kind of stop and receive. I'm gonna lead you through a time of prayer. 
a Charlie, our team, they're going to get in place. But I just want you to reflect and consider on the great grace of God in the announcement of Christmas, the mercy of God extended to you. Will you pray with me? God, thank you so much. Thank you for inviting us in. God, I know that we, we, are, um, we will fall far short and most of us are so inexperienced. I know I feel like I am in terms of what it means to magnify you with my whole soul, my life. So God, I pray that these next couple moments are a time of thanksgiving and celebration. They will begin, we'll just begin to receive all that you have for us. I wanna ask you for a second while you're praying in that posture of prayer, I want to ask you to thank God for the gift of Christ he has given you. Christmas is that announcement that he's here, the king is here. Just thank him, magnify him down there. Nobody else is in that conversation. You got nothing to prove to nobody in that conversation between you and the Lord. Don't need to be eloquent. Thank you, God, for saving me. Christmas is only so wonderful because it ushers in the king who would go up on the cross for us. Thank him for the cross. Thank him for the empty tomb. If you've never received Christ, do so now. I beg you, stop directing your soul to magnifying things that are leaving you empty. Scripture says, Christ came so that you might have life, have it abundantly. Just turn to him. God, I give you my life. I'm turning from my sin. I give you everything. All I have is yours. I don't care how old you are. You're not too old. You're not too young for the grace of God in full now. God, I receive it. Father, thank you for Christmas. Thank you for the celebration of your arrival. God, I pray that our hearts, uh, would they be lifted up, our souls filled as we direct our praise to the one true living God. Oh, we worship you this morning. We worship you, Father.